Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Yesterday, you helped us understand a bit about the Hebrew Bible and the differences between that and the Christian Bible, and you helped us uh, feel a bit more comfortable about the different books of the Bible, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books, uh, prophecy, Psalms, uh, some of the uh, wisdom writings. And the, the Bible's a whole collection of books, um, but what's the Bible most of all for you? You gotta put the mic up, there you go. Uh, yeah, um, mostly I was like, I don't know. Um, well, so I spend, you know, it's what I do for work. I spend most of my time professionally either with email or the Bible. And Bible is the better part of that. Um, I think for me, um, like stories have always been very like alive to me. Um, like books felt like very similarly alive to like what was happening in the world. Um, and I guess like the Bible is the one that I've really chosen to spend time with. So um, it doesn't always feel, feel like a collection of friends because um, sometimes I'm like, oh, we're not getting along right now. Um, <laughs> but maybe like a collection of family. Like it's like, okay, to have that disagreement, yeah. Families do that too. <laughs> one, of, one of the things that we talked about yesterday um, is this idea of an angry God. And we had someone yesterday who said, it seems moving from the Hebrew Bible into the New Testament that God has undergone anger management. And you let us know that actually maybe we could look at things a little bit differently. But it does seem that from the time of the Hebrew Bible writings to the time of the New Testament writings, God does seem to interact differently. And we sing hymns, we sang one last Sunday that had the sentence in it, God, you do not change. And I'm wondering how different God actually is throughout the centuries, or how you might be able to respond to something like that. Um, so I guess I think the, the changes aren't like linear. Um, I don't know if anyone has kids and deal with sleep, but one of the most helpful things people told me about sleep and babies is that it's not linear. And that's how I think about God in anger. So there are um, like completely contradictory passages, both within the Hebrew Bible and within uh, the Christian scriptures, where God is just different. Um, and well, I was saying, I'm very reluctant to say like, does that mean God changed or does it mean our perception changed? Like, I don't know. Um, but I do know that or I am certain that trying to make those texts say the same thing is not helpful. That we need like, we need the, the contradictory passages. And I think for the most part, Jewish interpreters have been much more comfortable. Um, so if Christian interpretation tends to want to be like, okay, so which is the like right one? Uh, Jewish interpretation has been more willing to like kind of continue the contradictions in interpretation and and then leave it there um and i think we've all had the experience of like needing different texts at different times and that the contradictions meet that need 
Thank you. I, I think I um, was thinking to myself yesterday, this idea of picking up the Bible and being able to flip to a passage that might actually speak to a current situation instead of every passage having to speak to every circumstance was a really helpful, um, I, I don't want to say prescription, but prescription. Um, one of the other things that you pointed out yesterday, so we talked a little bit, we got into the weeds of the Hebrew Bible, which was beautiful for uh, nerds like me. And one of the things that you were talking about was awesome. Authorship. And you made this, this statement that one of the ways that we know the Bible was actually a communal effort was the places where we see the Bible contradict itself. And I wonder how that uh, viewpoint into the scriptures might actually help us as a community that oftentimes doesn't agree with one another here in this place. Um, well, I think one of the really interesting things is that so, like, the Bible was edited over a long time. Like, there were many chances to, like, smooth it out. Like, they could have done that. Later editors could have said, we have changed our mind. Let's just massage this bit, and it will look really, it will look really clear. And they didn't. They just left all the disagreement in. Um, and, um, like, I think as far as, like, a model of community life that's really helpful that like that having conflicts in community is not a failure and also not something that you then have to like you know once you have like moved past that conflict you you don't then have to like pretend it didn't happen or um make sure everyone is on the same page um there's like a real comfort with um being one community with more than one opinion, which like I think is, is really hard, um, but there's at least like permission in the Bible to try for that rather than the ideal being like everyone thinks the same thing about all the things. Makes it radically real. Yes. Yeah. yeah it makes it real, it, it makes it real, but it also um, shows that just like there are different opinions and understandings and takes on things, the Bible is the same. And that some passage, I think, patches will have uh, relevance and will cling to at one point in our life and others we'll be exposed to uh, that will, we will cling to those, that, that changes through time. Which is so good when we're living in a world where everybody's seeking, you know, give me the 140 character answer to all of life's problems, right? Um, so uh, you were saying that you grew up in Norway, which was not a, uh, there wasn't a religious home. Say a little bit about how you ended up where you are right now at Hillhurst United Church uh, in an interview with us about the Bible. How did that work? And while you do that, I'm going to get my phone. I'm listening. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so my family, uh, like my parents, um, are not religious, though I did grow up in the, like, the Bible belts of Norway, um, all the way south in Norway. Um, and um, I lived about 400 meters from the parish church. And the, when I was six or seven, a new priest moved in and his daughters were um, eager evangelists um, in ways that like as an adult would have been really inappropriate, I think. But as like a child, I didn't know that. Um, and so my sisters and I, um, we didn't really start going to church per se, but we started going to youth group and things like that. Um, and yeah. And now I'm here. Um, I mean, there were a few more steps along the way, but that was essentially it. Um, yeah. Why, why the Hebrew Bible? 
I think I said at lunch yesterday, it's the most fun, um, <laughs> or it's the better part, or something like that. Um, some of it was just the way the, my courses were in seminary. Um, the, the Hebrew Bible course was very like story focused, very focused on the specific words. And um, the New Testament course was more like sociology, which sociology is very interesting. It wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, but I do also think it's the more fun. Um, and I think often the, the texts that uh, turn people off are the ones that I really want to stick with. Like, I like how hard it is that, um, uh, like, I don't just read the Bible and think, ah, oh. like, as, as a work project, that wouldn't be very good, right? It's like, what do you say after, ah? Oh. So I like, um, I like all the texts where people fight and it's difficult. So it is a difficult text, the Hebrew Bible. Um, where would you suggest now that we have a, a room full of people who are like, oh, I want to get my fingers dirty in there. Uh, where do they start? They, should we start at the beginning and work our way through? Or what would, you, what would you recommend? You're almost certainly likely to run out of steam if you start at the beginning and work your way through. Um, there's quite a few books where I think having um, some help uh, is helpful. Um, because it is a very different, many of the texts are very different from anything that we write now or interact with now. I think on the whole, starting with something that has a lot of stories or that's very like poetry driven um, is the kind of, it's a good way in. So like Genesis is a lot of stories um, and they're not all sad. Um, and some of them are really funny. Um, or like if you like poetry, um, like Song of Songs is really beautiful and kind of shocking. You're like, oh, is that in the Bible? Um, and then there's just like shorter books that um, kind of let you think about a whole story without the commitment of reading um, a lot of pages like Ruth um, or Jonah um, that have, I think, really like challenging theological points, but they are four chapters each. So... You know, it's like a small commitment on your part. Small, commi small commitment's good. Okay, so I, there was a gentleman yesterday who works in the oil and gas industry, uh, texted me this question. Um, is there a parable or scripture you could recommend that speaks to the ethical choices uh, this congregation faces in a community like Calgary that works in the oil and gas development? Like, what? How does that work? Well, so maybe... <laughs> yes. Well, so can I... I'm not really good at favorites. Can I have two to read together? Go with ten. Two okay. is fine. Two. Okay. So, well, so I think the passage from today, Isaiah 55, together with Jeremiah 4. So Jeremiah 4, it's the end of Jeremiah 4. I can't remember quite what verse this. It's in the 20s somewhere. Um, is the... Um, um, like uncreation of the world. Um, and, um, oh, what's his name? Um, agrarian writer, farmer. Anyways, it might come to me. He has talked about thinking of that passage, um, seeing the sites of mountaintop removal, uh, fracking. Um, and I think it's this sort of, it's, it's the sort of darkest one can get with resource extraction. Um, but then I think we need the Isaiah passage 
um, which speaks about, it's really easy to make it just like metaphors about spirituality, but if you listen to the words, I don't think they're intended, there certainly is metaphor in there, but I think most of the things are not intended to like send you to great spiritual themes. It's talking about food, about the, the particular land, um, and about um, like living there with a sense of like safety, abundance, um, and like knowing that like generations will continue. Um, it's this really like, um, like the solution isn't like we pluck the people out and then everyone else gets along. Um, it's a vision of people, animals, and land living together. And so I feel like we need the like sense of like, we could break it that we get from Jeremiah 4, but then we also need the vision of what good life with humans might look like from Isaiah 55. You get some of that in Jeremiah too, but I think those two passages could go well together. So you hold them together. Yeah. yeah so like all doom I think is bad for us, but only thinking about comfort also, like it's just a way of escaping. Yeah, so we need the two. So yesterday we were delighted to have some indigenous friends uh, present to us, and I know some of your work uh, uh, talks about works is in the work of reconciliation, but there was a real harmony in how indigenous people see the land uh, with your interest in ecology and the Hebrew scriptures. Like, can you talk about what the, the parallels, what you're discovering as you work with indigenous folks in both uh, Christian studies and uh, traditional indigenous studies? Uh, yeah, so we talked about how um, uh, like things like trees and clouds and mountains and rivers um, like act like persons in some way in the Bible and have their own relationships with God. Um, and really, like the reason there's that harmony is that um, reading um, like indigenous writers and reading about indigenous worldviews was the thing that gave me the language to talk about that. Um, so when I first started noticing it in the Bible, I kept getting stuck of, on like, but trees don't have brains. You need a nervous system to like have thoughts. Um, and I didn't really know how to get past that. Like I could see that there was something there and then I was just like stuck with my inadequate language. Um, and then reading about um, uh, like indigenous people who do have relationship with the trees and are not worried about their brains. And they don't mistakenly think that there is a brain in there, right? It's like, um, it's a, um, a knowledge of trees that um, has both like all the depth of like science and like all the depth of a real relationship together. Um, that's what let me see those things in the Bible and then the like brain issue just kind of melted away. Um, so um, I guess like the, the harmony is there because I'm indebted. So you, so you, uh, so in the Psalm that we're talking about the trees clap their hands, right? You're seeing it uh, as um, something we assume humans clap their hands, but, but the trees are, are speaking with us and to us. And um, you spoke yesterday about, how, about animism and that, that part of your understanding of uh, our relationship with creation. Can you say something about that and how the Bible speaks to that? 
Yeah. Um, so I, I often use the clapping the hands example because it's sort of like a shorthand. But like, I think there's two ways of thinking of that as metaphor. Um, so th the common way in biblical studies has been like that the, there are no trees, essentially. I mean, there's trees, but they, they're, it's sort of insignificant in the passage and that it's about human joy. So it's just a way of saying like, oh, people are happy. Um, and, and I think that is kind of uh, putting the metaphor the wrong place. So trees don't have hands, so there is metaphor. Um, but I don't think the point is that the, the author is using trees to say something about people. It's that the author somehow knows, I think through deep relationship with the land, that, the, that a sort of return to good human presence in the land causes the trees joy. And... Um, but the author isn't a tree, the author is a person. And so how, how, to, how, how does he or she say or express tree joy? It's by means of an expression of human joy. So the metaphor is in fact something about the trees, but we have human experiences and so we have to use those to say something about the trees. I feel like that got complicated. The point is, it's really about trees feeling happy, but we have our limited perspective to speak about that in, and that's okay. Like, that's just like having bodies and being limited. Um, and the, the author is using his or her own experience to say something about the wider world, rather than just navel-gazing about humans. We, so we're living in a time right now where if we were putting pen to paper, we would have different books saying very different things. There are a lot of those polarized conversations happening. And I'm wondering for you, um, in, you know, we think of the, the climate crisis, we think of socioeconomic conversations, um, there is a lot of polarity. Where is the work that you do in particular giving you hope right now? That's real, that's good. <laughs> there are certainly some days where I think, I don't know. Um, so, well, so I think it's really important to pay attention to the like solution reporting, not just the problem reporting. Um, I mentioned yesterday, but I'm sort of been depressed by Norway's stand on deep ocean mining. Um, like, uh, I don't know if people know, but the Norwegian parliament is kind of opening the door to deep ocean mining. And if I only focused on that, it would feel like, and we're like, oh, we're supposed to, like we really need to like turn the ship around here. Um, and it would just be a bad story. Um, but there are also, um, like there's positive developments about um, protecting the Amazon forest, for example, like that's happening at the same time. Um, and well, kind of like uh, images of God aren't linear. Like I think our responses also aren't linear. And so um, this is almost like a spiritual practice because I find it hard, but like giving equal weight to the good news as the bad news. Um, and yeah, like not everything has to go right for 
uh, there to be hope that we are moving in hopefully a general good direction. That sounds like a brave spiritual practice to send us out into the day with. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about every generation kind of looks back thinking the, the past was better uh, as though it was. We're a total idiot. I feel like it can go both ways. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think, I think we're living in a very spiritual time. And I think if we have attention to a wider, broader perspective that uh, doesn't have our head in the sand, but seeks uh, what, is the, what is good for the planet, good for people, and how do we hold the economy and the environment together as partners is probably a reasonable, faithful way to look at Scripture. Yesterday, you were reminding us that a lot of the Bible is written at a time when people lived uh, as subsistence farmers, that it was really life and death about how the land was treated and the choices they made. And in lots of ways around our world right now, it's life and death about how we treat the world and the choices we make. So, you know, for me, having heard you yesterday, it's very relevant. This is not just about poetry. It's about uh, prophecy. It's about politics. It's about how we organize ourselves and how we, um, who do we place and how do we place us all as partners uh, in this great gift called uh, creation. So... That's a little bit of a ramble. Anyway, I, I want to thank you for being with us. You're welcome to talk to people between services, and we have another opportunity. This epiphany series that we've been doing, by the way, I forgot to say yesterday in the Calgary Herald, I wrote a half-page piece on the whole series. I haven't even seen it myself yet, but yesterday we looked at it. But we've had an opportunity to hear from people who looked in the New Testament uh, and helped us understand kingdom of God and the surprises that God brings us. We had an opportunity to hear from someone speak about the mission that we're all called to. How do we take what we say and sing out, out into the world? We had Rabbi Laura inviting us to see donkeys as wise elders to us. And you have moved us from the donkey to the tree. And so we hold all of these together because the work of faith is ours to do. And your uh, seminary uh, is shaping uh, great people as we have Andrea and many others who are coming from that place to inform and trans the world, transform the world with all of us. So blessings on your work and thank you uh, for being with us. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.